This is Guns and Butter. had a former NSA agent tell me, I said, uh, would you still work for the government? He didn't like what the NSA is doing. He said, yeah. I said, is there any branch of government you wouldn't work for? And he looked at me and he went, yeah, the Department of Homeland Security, the thugs. They have a $61 billion a year budget. That's $61 billion. What are they doing with all that money? Uh, we're finding out now they're actually, uh, in some cities, they're acting like police. They're stopping people on the streets. It means we have a standing army now. If you remember our founding fathers, the one thing they really argued strongly against, don't erect the standing army. We face that. We now have it. It's really a coordinating effort with many local police agencies and all the federal agencies, which are armed to the teeth. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. Today on Guns and Butter, John Whitehead. Today's show, Police State America. John Whitehead is an author and constitutional attorney. He is the founder of the nonprofit civil liberties organization, the Rutherford Institute, based in Charlottesville, Virginia. The Rutherford Institute provides free legal services to people whose constitutional and human rights have been threatened or violated. John Whitehead is the author of many books, most recently, A Government of Wolves, The Emerging American Police State. On today's program, we discuss the characteristics of a police state, the corporate state, the American Legislative Exchange Council, the TSA, the Offices of Inspector General, SWAT and Viper teams, no-knock raids, the schoolhouse-to-jailhouse track, the electronic concentration camp, including the New York prototype, and state and corporate control that constitutes totalitarianism. John Whitehead, welcome. Thank you. In your book, A Government of Wolves, The Emerging American Police State, you write that a police state is characterized by bureaucracy, secrecy, perpetual wars, a nation of suspects, militarization, surveillance, widespread police presence, and citizenry with little recourse against police actions. According to your criteria, how is the United States doing? Well, anybody that's, does, that's educated on the issues knows we're already there. So we mirror every police state that ever existed from Nazi Germany to the Soviet Union to some of the stuff that's happening in China right now and countries like that. So as my book shows, it's you know, the perpetual wars are there. We have a very strong military presence right now in our country through the local police, which works with uh, groups like the Department of Homeland Security, the FBI, to do raids. I mean, all the major agencies in the federal government have SWAT teams now, and they're heavily armed. Uh, so all that criteria, it's already met. Actually, to be, to be honest with you, it began years ago. Uh, the NSA, for example, all that surveillance we know they're doing now, they've been doing that for probably the last 30 years pretty intensely. It's just that the computers now have, and the technology has advanced so rapidly that they are powerful. I've actually been told by former NSA agents that the computers the NSA has in their Utah facility does all the work. It actually sweeps the Facebook posts, the Twitter posts, your text messages. The NSA admits to downloading 220 million text messages a day of American citizens. So what they've created is data beings. We're basically seen as data 
beings, they're our digital overlords, essentially. And anything you say, anything electronic, your bank records, they know everything. Conversations with license plate readers now, the um, Department of Homeland Security is handing those out free to police departments across the country. They know where you're going. I mean, the technology is awesome. And if people go to our website at rutherford.org, you can see I write on it weekly, and I have a lot of this stuff in my book, The Government of Wolves. So get educated because it's around you folks. You write that over the last 70 years, the rise of the corporate state has done away with democratic government as we have known it. How would you characterize the corporate state that is a government, I guess, that has fused with a corporate elite? The term corporatism was uh, coined by Benito Mussolini, the Italian fascist. It was adopted also by Hitler. Uh, there was a, actually a meeting that uh, before Hitler rose to power, there was a meeting of industrialists, and uh, one of the industrialists walked out to the press and they said, what, what, what was the result? And he looked at the people around the room and said, we just hired Hitler. Uh, so that's the idea of the corporate state's been around for quite a while. Uh, we just basically have adopted it in this country now. When Romney, for example, ran against Obama, we did a research project to see what corporate entities were funding which candidates, and I was not surprised to find it was virtually identical. So there is a corporate hierarchy. We see it in all the uh, overcriminalization we're seeing in the country where people are getting arrested for having chickens or gardens in their backyards. Those are cases we get involved in, but those are laws written by large uh, organizations that basically write the laws for local communities, and it protects the supermarket, the chain. I mean, people are getting uh, hassled for having a chicken in their backyard. We have those cases where the, the police arrive and confiscate the chicken. They don't want you to do your own eggs. So we're seeing those kind of crazy cases. People that want to live off the grid, you, you're fine for doing your own rainwater or using solar panels, those kind of things. That's going crazy across the country. There's actually a city now in California where it's against the law to smoke in your own home. So we're seeing all that crazy overcriminalization. Well, let me put it this way. I'm a constitutional lawyer. Forty years I've been practicing this area. When we get in a major case, usually we try to trace back what the law is and how it came about. Usually it's lobbying. So the lobbyists control things. There's 25 lobbyists per congressman in Washington, D.C. And you don't have the access, by the way. The American citizen does not have the same access as those kind of people. Well, now, you uh, just alluded to legislation being written uh, by organizations other than legislators. What is the American Legislative Exchange Council, or AL? It's a, a, a large group of uh, very powerful individuals, corporations, uh, senators, congressmen, influential people. They write a number of laws, and there's another group called the International Code Council that does the same thing for local communities. We actually had a case in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, where a pastor uh, wanted to have Bible studies in his home. You can't have more than, I think, eight or nine people, the law said, in religious studies was actually part of the code. You couldn't have more than, I think, 10 people for religious studies. Well, he, he had, 12, I think, 12 people in his home. They came in, arrested him. He spent 60 days in jail. Like seven or eight cops came in. They put an ankle bracelet on him. We, we traced that, tried to find out where that law came from. It was actually one written by the International Code Council. Uh, so what, what's happened, folks, is your local communities now are uh, – 
taking laws. They're not writing them. They're getting laws from elsewhere. And it's basically to protect vested interests. You know, people say, why can't you have a chicken in your backyard? Because they want you to go to the large farm, you know, the large uh, grocery stores who lobby to make those things illegal. So that's what we're seeing across the country. So then you're saying that private groups like this ALEC or whomever actually write legislation, and then how do they get this legislation enacted? Well, they uh, lobby local uh, people. I mean, I don't know if uh, in your area, uh, you know, like in many areas now, they're, they're, they're putting up red light cameras, which are a scam, by the way. They cause more accidents. Come to find out those are promoted by large corporations that come in and lobby local uh, city councils and county organizations, uh, county board of supervisors, too, uh, have these red light cameras, and uh, whereby the corporation uh, gets a certain kickback on the the cost of them, and the county gets so much money or the city gets so much money. But those are actually uh, things promulgated by large corporations, one even actually an Australian corporation that comes into this country, wines and dines people. So I think uh, why this happens, though, is because the average American is not paying attention. They're, they're not down for city council meetings. They're not checking up on who and why these things are being enacted. Like I say, some of the cases we're, we're seeing happening across the country where people are getting arrested for just what used to be legal activity. I mean, there's laws now <laughs> where you can't uh, live off the grid if you don't use the water. They're coming in saying people's uh, homes are unsafe if you don't use the water or the electricity. We actually were involved in a case in Florida on that. There was a woman, 81-year-old woman in Florida, who fed birds in her front yard. The police actually did surveillance on the yard, found crumbs. A neighbor reported her for feeding the birds. She was arrested and taken into the courtroom. I saw pictures of her being led in the courtroom. She could barely walk, but she had handcuffs on. Now, what was behind, what was the law that she was breaking? Uh, supposedly feeding animals. I mean, in uh, fact, the town I live in, I mean, you're not supposed to feed <laughs> the animals. It's basically a semi-wooded area. Uh, whoever's in power, I mean, the laws appear to be irrational, but most of them are not irrational. They function somehow to uh, help some uh, hierarchy, whether it's a business interest or whatever. But we handle the cases. I'm seeing across the country uh, crazy cases uh, where if you collect rainwater, they're, they're actually taxing you extra or fining you for doing it. That's because you're not using the water system. People that want to live off a generator, for example, periodically are being told they can't do that because the large power companies make money off of it, and they're actually against the law. But see, all this is happening, and why I wrote my book, A Government of Wolves, it comes from the great uh, quote by Edward R. Murrow, who fought McCarthyism in the 50s. He says, a nation of sheep begets a government of wolves. We've, in many ways, we've become sheep-like. We've just allowed these things to happen. And in other countries that I've studied, Nazi Germany especially, the people were asleep. All of a sudden it was there. They thought everything was great. All these laws were passed. They started taking their guns away. (laughs) And it was too late at that point. The government had too much power. But uh, you do have citizen power, but you have to know what's going on in your local community especially. Now, so you're saying that part of the drive uh, to a police state is motivated by private profit. Oh, yes. You realize that most of the people in Congress are millionaires. 
Uh, we're ruled by an elite group that gets free bottled water, free flowers on their desk every day. Veterans have to sit in the lobby at Walter Reed Hospital. The congressmen go up on gold-plated elevators. They get immediate service. And most of these people haven't ever served in the military. I deal with veterans' uh, issues uh, and defend veterans. Uh, they're outraged by it. Some even picket in front of the veterans' hospitals because of this kind of stuff. But the people in Congress are, are, are an elite. Well, here's the thing. Everything's electronic now. That's, that's what Snowden, I think, has helped people realize. You have no privacy anymore. Um, you also, you have now the NSA developing uh, facial recognition. You won't be able to go anywhere. Everything's going to be watched. They're going to actually create a digital 3D version of your head. There's nothing. You're not going to have any privacy anymore. So it's, it's gone, folks. And the question is, and we're doing a study right now through Rutherford Institute on what does it mean that once you lose your privacy – but I think what I'm seeing, and the studies seem to show this, is that most Americans are acquiescing. As long as they get their things, they can stare at a cell phone or a laptop. They're happy. But, you know, it's a great saying, those who forget history are bound to repeat it. And I think we're going to repeat it, in my opinion. It looks like it. I mean, with 80,000 SWAT team raids occurring across the country these days, going through people's homes for mere warrant service. When I was growing up, a cop showed up at your door had a warrant, knocked on the door if you had marijuana or some kind of drug, and that was it. Today, middle of the night, bang, shoot, they're inside your house, and people are getting killed, as I detail in my book. Uh, innocent people, by the way. So the whole face of the United States is different. You have to read about these things. You're not going to get it from the networks, so they don't talk about these issues. Most of the large corporate TV networks, I call them corporate because they're owned by large corporate entities who make money, in my opinion, they're part of the process. Well, yes, of course. And you mentioned the drug warrants. Uh, in your book, you say they're typically served by paramilitary units late at night or shortly before dawn. That sounds like the raids in Iraq. And other regimes, yes. Typically 3 a.m., 4 a.m. in the morning, uh, they invade the home. The reason is because you're asleep and you're groggy. Uh, they're nighttime raids. Every time I read about a SWAT team raid, having studied Nazi Germany, <laughs> it's, it's even freakier. But uh, the show you give you a good instance. Uh, Marine returning Afghanistan, decorated Marine Jose Guerrero was in his home uh, in Arizona, uh, sleeping. He heard a large noise in his house, a loud noise. It was a flashbang grenade. He was astute. He thought there had been burglaries in the neighborhood recently. He gets at the end of his hallway, he takes his women and children, he put them in a closet. He stood at the end of his hallway by the bedroom with his rifle. He only had one gun, a hunting rifle. In comes the SWAT team. They see him at the end of the hallway. They fire 70-some times, hit him 50 times. He falls head first. They wouldn't even let the medics take care of him. He bled to death on his own floor. They were looking for drugs. There were no drugs in Jose Guerrero's home. So that's the result of some of them. I don't know if you saw here in Atlanta a couple of weeks ago. They went into a home in Atlanta, flashbang grenade in the middle of the night. It landed in a baby's crib, burned half the baby's face off. Uh, the, the officers said they were really sad it happened. But here's the thing. Uh, there was no reason to go. There was no violence. There was no reason to do that. If they thought there were drugs in the home, they should have got a warrant. But they didn't do it. So what happens is you got a baby scarred for life and the baby's in a coma. This is happening in America, folks. And you said it sounds like military raids. If they are military raids. They're dressed in military outfits the military gear, which, by the way, the Department of Defense and Department of Homeland Security hands out to them basically free. 
I'm speaking with author and constitutional attorney John Whitehead. Today's show, Police State America. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Now, you're saying that some of these raids, they don't even have warrants. No. No knock raids. A lot of them don't have warrants. Jose Guerrero, they didn't have a warrant to enter his home. The guy got shot. They were doing a neighborhood sweep to find marijuana. And here's the key. For marijuana raids, they get federal grants, so they make money off of the grants. Now, I have a question for Americans. Do you think police should be getting monetary grants for raiding people's homes? For marijuana? <laughs> Uh, it, it doesn't make any sense except for one reason, uh, money. In the middle of the night at 3 a.m., if someone's got marijuana, and I think <laughs> most people that smoke marijuana I've known during my life are stoned and they're not very dangerous, just knock on the door <laughs> with your warrant. Why do you need to do the SWAT team rate? Well, that's how they fund their program. Well, exactly. Now, uh, you say with these grants funding these raids, then uh, this motivates uh, more raids, doesn't it, yeah. if there's money to be made? Oh, yeah, I've talked to police. I talked to one policeman uh, a couple years ago. He said he was, a, you know, he knew this funded his program, and he didn't want to lose his, his drug wars program, and so he was going to go ahead and do it anyway. But I've also talked, there are a lot of good policemen out there that don't like these things. They talk to me, they've read my book, A Gun with the Wolves, they go... We don't know what to do, but uh, as I show in this commentary, and again, people should read it. It's up on our website. It's called Just Shoot. Um, they're being trained like that. Uh, new evidence shows they're trained to shoot first, ask questions later. That's why you're seeing more un- unarmed people. The case of that what was an old guy, I think, was in Houston, was standing on his driveway with a cane. If some policeman drove by and they saw him waving his cane, they thought it was a rifle. They got out and shot him. A veteran was shot just recently in his apartment building. He was waving something that looked like it was a mock rifle it wasn't real standing in front of the window SWAT team raid bang bang shot him through the window it wasn't even a real gun but see they're not they're not trying to deal with them as you would an american what i've seen and what i argue is the master servant relationship's been reversed we're supposedly the masters the police work for us obama works for us but do you think obama thinks he works for us or, the, or some of the local no they don't because i talked to them they don't believe that also, as, I, as you know in my book, I show that psychological studies indicate that when you get all this gear on, all these things, you know, all this military stuff, your mentality changes. The Milgram studies I detail in my book and other places show that people can be turned into monsters. Not intentionally, by the way. They don't want to be monsters, but by the time they get ramped up on it, they look at us like enemy combatants. That's why you're seeing kids getting shot and people hurt. They always shoot the dogs with only SWAT team raids. It's a really crazy environment, but it's going to spread. There were 3,019 early 1980 SWAT team raids. Now, I'm told by insiders about 80,000, so what is that, a 300,000, 3,000% increase or something like that. The crime rate has dropped and the murder rate has dropped. It's dropping continually. Americans are not that violent. They're not that violent. So why, why, why is it happening? Well, there's a different a mentality has changed. Well, here's the question I got. Why would the Department of Agriculture just recently purchase submachine guns for their employees? They're contracting for full-body armor. One blogger wrote, are they going to shoot farmers? Why did the Department of Homeland Security a year and a half ago purchase or or contract to buy, had a contractor actually make them, 1.6 billion hollow-point bullets? Why does the Social Security Administration buy 200,000 hollow-point bullets? 
which they said were going to be distributed to 41 locations across America. We don't know what locations. Why does the Department of Education have a SWAT team? Why are they doing SWAT team raids for overdue loans? Those are big questions. This is America today. Well, that's right. And these hollow-point bullets, they explode internally, causing massive organ damage and death. I mean, they're more dangerous than a regular bullet, aren't they? Oh, yeah. I was a for- I'm a former Army officer. I was infantry. I trained people to fight. We could not use hollow-point bullets. They violate international law. But you have now. Uh, well, many people think they've been distributed to local police agencies. Some local police agencies probably have Yes. They uh, blow your head off. If they hit your shoulder, your shoulder goes off. They enter small and come out large. So they collect flesh and bang, you're dead. Martin Luther King was shot through the head. Kennedy was shot through the head with hollow point bullets. Oh. They hurt. Uh, So we're crazily, some might argue, well, maybe they're using the bullets for target practice. You don't use hollow point bullets for target practice, dude. (laughs) They're meant to kill, you know. I'm familiar with weapons. You use 22, 22 shells, stuff like that, for target practice. You don't use that. Some police agencies, by the way, now have, are stockpiling 5.56-millimeter rifles, which they're being given by the Department of Homeland Security. They also have MRAPs, which are mine-resistance, armored protection vehicles used in Afghanistan and Iraq. You can go online and take a look at one of those. There are small communities with 20,000 people that have MRAPs now the police do. Why is the question. And you mentioned that the Social Security Administration, and then I also read in your book uh, NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, they've ordered hollow-point bullets. Yes. Um, Could you tell us about, now you mentioned in your book something called Offices of Inspector General, OIG, where 73 of them are attached to federal agencies with SWAT teams. What is this? Yeah, it's FBI, it's national SWAT teams, like I said. Um, here, here's what we're seeing. To give you an example of a case that we had, his name was Brandon Robb about a year and a half ago. He's a, he was a Marine over in uh, Iraq, went over to Afghanistan. Uh, he was a bomb specialist. He uh, was the guy they sent out in the field if they thought there was a live bomb. He would you know, get rid of it or detonate it and, to protect the soldiers. Uh, he came back uh, from his tour of duty, 26-year-old Marine, disillusioned with a lot of things that were going on in America, a lot of things I'm speaking about. He did some anti-Obama Facebook posts, stuff like that. He, um, he was home typing. It was an August day. He hears a loud noise outside. He doesn't have a shirt on. He just got through jogging. He walks to the door and looks out, and these guys are running toward his home in black outfits and some in plain clothes. He, he opens the screen door, and he says, what's up? He's an astute Marine, he knows. And uh, they said, well, we're concerned about your Facebook post, some of the things you're saying on Facebook. And he said, who are you? And they said, the local police. And then uh, the, one of the agents said, FBI, Department of Homeland Security, Secret Service. So they were working in tandem with the local police, the federal SWAT team guys. They asked him to step outside. They did not have enough evidence to do a search warrant, or they found that Brandon doesn't own a rifle. He doesn't have a, a gun. He steps out. They handcuff him. They lead him outside. They actually throw him against the fence. He resisted a bit. They threw him against the fence, lacerated his back. He asked for a shirt. They said no. He got to the police station. His mother was panicking. She called all over trying to find someone to defend him. She finally got a hold of us. I called the police and said, what's his crime? What did what, you arrest Brandon Robb for? 
the police chief said, oh, he committed no crime. Uh, we're just concerned about his Facebook posts, some of the things he's saying. Well, you know, The thing that uh, he had a, a five-minute investigation in a jail cell with a psychiatrist who pronounced him insane. You know why? Because he's a 9-11 conspirator, <laughs> which means there's a lot of crazy people in America. Uh, he was put in a mental hospital. Uh, we sued, got him out in a week. A judge really shouldn't be there, and now we've filed a federal lawsuit. But that shows you how the agencies are working together now. And I would bet you, and I guarantee you this, in the larger cities or amid the large cities, you don't have local police anymore. They work with the federal agencies. They're tied in. Because that's who arrested Brandon Robb. And since then, we've had veterans who do anti-Obama Facebook posts that Secret Service shows up at their door, or NSA, and tells them to shut up. This is America. Yes, in your book you mentioned something called Operation Vigilant Eagle, which is a surveillance of military veterans. What's going on there? It's a program that comes out of the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, It was formulated to watch returning veterans. There's a paranoia up top in our government on returning veterans. Uh, it's, It's called Operation Vigilant Eagle. Also in 2012, the Justice Department announced that they were training SWAT teams to deal with veterans, principally veterans. So there is a paranoia about returning veterans. They think there might be some kind of resistance. Uh, the Ohio National Guard, and I think it was Ohio, and a few National Guards around the country have done training exercises in the last six months. And the enemy are domestic terrorists. That doesn't mean Osama bin Laden. It means Americans with guns. So there is a paranoia about Americans with guns, but there's an astute paranoia about returning veterans. Again, we're seeing it. Uh, the cases that we get, the Brandon Robb thing. He was a veteran. That's why they targeted him. Now, you write that the Department of Homeland Security, the DHS, now has a domestic army of paramilitary forces roaming the country. Now, does this include all of these different SWAT uh, groups that are uh, tied to different federal agencies? Yeah, they uh, also fund all the stuff you're saying. People object to license plate readers, which I object to, too. They watch you wherever you go, and they record it. Um, they're also tied in with the NSA. So any information the Department of Homeland Security collects or any of the agencies, their FBI is part of this as well, all goes into the NSA file so that they have a complete file of you. Uh Department of Homeland Security, uh, I got a call from a small Nebraska town. They said this weird vehicles was in our community that scared us. I think it was an MRAP they were uh, <laughs> describing. But they said, but on the side, it had Department of Homeland Security. We don't know why it was in our community. And I didn't know why either, but uh, some communities are experiencing that. I actually had a former NSA agent tell me, I said, uh, would you still work for the government? He didn't like what the NSA is doing. I said, um, he said, yeah. I said, is there any branch of government you wouldn't work for? And he looked at me and he went, yeah, the Department of Homeland Security, they're thugs. Uh, so that's what the Department of Homeland Security, they have a $61 billion a year budget. That's $61 billion of American taxpayer money. What are they doing with all that money? Uh, we're finding out now they're actually, uh, in some cities, they're, they're, they're acting like police. They're stopping people on the streets. I'll be writing about that soon, folks. Stay tuned. Well, That's now, scary. It means we have a standing army now. If you remember our founding fathers, the one thing they really argued strongly against, don't erect the standing army. We face that. We now have it. And it, it's really a coordinating effort with many local police agencies and all the federal agencies, which are armed to the teeth. 
Now, the universities and colleges are now giving degrees in Homeland Security, aren't they? Yeah, <laughs> and drones, by the way. We haven't talked about that. Drones are going to be coming soon. That's going to ramp up the government's power. So they they actually start flying legally over America starting uh, January 2015. So they're coming. And they'll have scanning devices to see through the walls of your home and all the anti-personnel devices from sound cannons or rubber bullets to tasers. They'll also be equipped with facial recognition software. So you won't be able to go anywhere. In fact, there are some uh, underground hackers that are now trying to develop hats and glasses and simulated masks that you can wear so you won't be identified. But the question I ask, in a free country, should you have to do that? You have a right to be anonymous. So, again, yeah, the universities are part of the system. They're going to be training people. But, you know, I see it in the public schools with the cases we get in the public schools. Kids are in the public schools now are being trained to be very compliant. We had a case in Pennsylvania, just to give you an idea, and we have many of these. You can people go to our website and look at our zero-tolerance section. You'll see some of the crazy cases. But uh, last Christmas, uh, Johnny Jones went up to the desk to get a paper. He's a fourth grader, 10 years old. He was on his way back, and his, his friend did an imaginary pistol and did a silent pow. Johnny Jones did an imaginary bow and arrow. He was pulled out of class and charged with a weapons violation. We defended him and backed the school off. A weapons violation, my it's crazy, God. under zero tolerance policies, yeah. Yeah. We got all these crazy cases. We had one kid who uh, drew a picture of his uncle in Afghanistan. It was a stick figure. He was a fourth grader. He was proud of it. The uncle's carrying a stick figure rifle. He took it to school in his lunchbox, folded up. During lunch, he pulled out and showed his friends. They all liked the picture of the uncle, you know, and the teacher saw it. They jerked him. I filed a lunchroom and said he was he violated the zero tolerance policy against weapons in the school for drawing a picture of his uncle. Cases are legion. Like I say, we have a whole section. We've done hundreds of those kind of crazy cases. I'm speaking with author and constitutional attorney John Whitehead. Today's show, Police State America. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. You mentioned the drones. Now, according to your book, uh, there are plans to have 30,000 drones domestically by 2020 by the uh, FAA Reauthorization Act. So this is being, what, uh, legislated or is this policy? No, it's a law that Obama signed into effect in 2013, which allows them to fly. It's a $30 billion a year industry, by by the way, the drone industry. So they lobbied heavily to get that. They're going to make a lot of money. Um, The thing is about the drones, like I say, they're going going to be highly invasive. Uh, Free speech protests, I think, my opinion in the future, it's just my opinion. Uh, When you see uh, they have dragonfly drones, they'll be equipped with certain kind of anti-personnel devices. When you see a fleet of those coming down the street and you're on the street corner with your picket sign, you're going to run. They have an antlers Four, go on uh, YouTube and watch the Atlas Four. It's a 330-pound, six-foot android, which they're developing to be used overseas. They say, but again, all the technology used overseas comes back here. So you're going to—I would say probably in 10 to 15 years—you're going to see androids walking around America, and they're going to be government androids, by the way. You're talking about robots? Yeah. Basically, uh, remote-controlled robots, because the uh, drones are remote-controlled. Uh, they're using about 4,000 robotic creatures in Afghanistan right now. They're coming home. 
there's so much money to be made. Google, by the way, just bought its eighth robotic firm. They're heavy into it. Google is the big driving industry. They uh, admit they work with the NSA, by the way. I wrote a commentary on that. You should People should read it. It's a little scary. All that information they have, they have all your information, folks. And here's the problem. Uh, if a drone flies over your house, just to give you an example, and scans your home and you're cleaning, you, you've got your son's BB gun, and the drone can't make out whether it's a BB gun or a rifle, and let's say it's not registered. Of course, you wouldn't register a BB gun. You may get a SWAT team right. You're going to see some crazy stuff like that because we're seeing the crazy drug raids now and other kind of raids. The Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals just said recently that uh, this is a case headed for the Supreme Court. I hope the Supreme Court hears it and reverses it. If a SWAT team or the police think that it's in your best interest to come get your gun, they can do it without a warrant. They can just come get it go through your door. Courts are not helping us, by the way. No. Now, you're saying this is, was this legislation to say that they can come and get your gun without no, a warrant? No, it was a SWAT team went in to get a, a woman's gun. She was at a counselor's office and just made a crazy remark. She said, well, maybe I should just go home and kill myself. And she was laughing. And, uh, of course, the psychiatrist was concerned, called the police, and they went and got her gun. She was joking, come to find out. But the precedent is bad. If they think it's in your best interest, well, let me tell you something. Uh, most of these people running the SWAT teams and on the federal and local level think it's in their best interest to do a lot of things that you might disagree with, but you really don't have any say on that. Right. It reminds me of a law, I guess it's a California law, uh, it's called a 5150. If, if, if somebody thinks that you're going to hurt yourself or commit suicide or, or you're a threat to yourself or somebody else, they can call in a 5150 on you and uh, they show up and, and cart you off to a mental hospital. or Yeah, that's called civil commitment. That's what happened to Brandon Robin Marine, I told you about. They snatched it from his home. By the way, there are 1.5 million civil commitments that occur in America each year. 20,000 plus alone in Virginia. I was called by a reporter, a female reporter, by the way, who was working on a story, and she said she was shocked to find out there were 80,000 in L.A. County alone. We don't know what happens to most of those people. See, people are not awake. Uh, if you notice in my book, I use movies to illustrate what's happening, like the movie Minority Report. Go watch it, I tell people. All that technology is available to the government. The movie's set in 2054. That's how fast things are moving. But another movie I highlight is John Carpenter's They Live. The thesis of that movie is They Live, which means the governmental bodies are going to encroach in every area because we're asleep. So it's time to wake up. And the only way you're going to wake up, I tell people, Get educated. Listen to good programs like yours. Read the books out there. There's information out there. You just have to take the time. Your kids, by the way, need to be told these things. You need to educate your kids slowly about the realities of the coming life that they're going to be facing, especially with drones coming. They're going to be everywhere. They have hummingbird drones, seagull drones. They have a leopard drone. I've actually seen these things uh, move in videos. They're scary. But uh, it, it, let's just think about it. the mentality that drives a SWAT team. They come to your door in the middle of the night, kids get killed. That same mentality will use those kind of creatures. Why would they risk their lives if they could send something that's robotic? Like I said, Google is moving really fast. They just bought their eighth robotic firm. They're heavy into it. 
Yes, and speaking of uh, children, let's talk about uh, school lockdowns. What are school lockdowns and the schoolhouse to jailhouse track? And uh, you mentioned zero tolerance. What's going on in the school systems? Well, a lot of schools are doing periodic lockdowns where they bring in SWAT teams and they go through kids' lunchbox. We've actually had some cases, and they're tough to win in the courts because the courts back the schools, whatever they do. Well, there was a recent school, I forget where, they shut down the entire school just all of a sudden. It's called a lockdown, and the principal says it's for our benefit, and mainly what they're supposedly looking for are not weapons, but uh, drugs of some kind, which they very seldom find. They order the kids out of the uh, classroom, the police go in, look through their lunchbox and stuff, and go out and leave. But here's the key is this. What does it teach? What, what lesson does that teach kids? That's how to live in a police state. You just acquiesce, hope they don't find something they can use against you. Then the, uh, you know, the uh, school-to-prison pipeline, there are a lot of schools. I mean, the kids are getting kicked out for, like I say, these crazy things, zero tolerance policies, and they're getting on the streets. They get in trouble. They end up in prison. Uh, that's, you know, that's an increasing phenomenon. Uh, and, and I argue a lot of schools when we get involved in these cases. Why don't you just keep the kid in school, <laughs> put him in an empty room and make him read a book? They don't want to do that. So, uh, I would say the schools probably are the progenitor, the main tool that's going to be used. You can't say the wrong thing in a school now. We have a case in California where kids wore American flag t-shirts. And they were ordered to take them off on Cinco de Mayo. That's going up through the courts, uh, just because there might be fights, uh, symbols, political correctness. Kids are kids are being taught you can't speak certain words, you can't think anymore. Where does that come from? Read George Orwell's 1984. He predicted all this stuff. He saw it coming. We live in the Big Brother. In my opinion, is here. We're just, like I say, most Americans are asleep. Time to wake up. Now let's talk about the Transportation Safety Administration, the TSA in the airports. Uh, You have a quote from TSA Chief John Pistoli, quote, he wants to take TSA to the next level. What is the next level? Well, it's already been taken to the next level. And we've had a lot of cases, by the way, where people have been groped and stuff at the Rutherford Institute on these issues. The full-body scanners, that was key. That was, uh, by the way, heavily lobbied by large corporate interests that made a lot of money off of that. And here's the crazy thing. I don't know if people know it, but they're moving a lot of the full-body scanners out of airports now. They're moving them to prisons. And there's a large uh, warehouse, supposedly, in Texas that's housing them. In other words... Americans got taken to the cleaners again. We paid a lot of money for those things. Uh, I just flew recently in the full body. I forget where were we were flying, but they were the full body scanners were out of the airports where we were at. We just get back to the middle of the detectors. But uh, if I show in my book, large corporations made a lot of money off of those things. They used them. Uh, and here was the crazy thing: when they were putting those full body scanners in airports, Rafi Selly, who's the head of Israeli security, said they didn't work. Why are you Americans doing that? They didn't pick up what you need to do in body cavities. Plus, they are very unsafe, 20 times the amount of radiation. And they inflicted this all on the American people, I think, as an experiment. But they saw there was a rebellion for a while, which was good. People were rebelling against it. We were defending people who were – well, we won a case where a young man named 
uh, a young Bob Toby walked into an airport in Richmond and took off his clothes and had his running shorts on and had the Fourth Amendment on his chest. He was immediate, and this shows you the John Pistoli kind of mentality. Fifth-year architecture student, University of Cincinnati, they know it. They took him downstairs. They brought in the FBI, Department of Homeland Security, interrogated him for an hour whether or not he had terrorist connections to terror groups. We filed a lawsuit and won it over the Fourth Amendment on that particular case. So that's that's what they're talking about. The TSA is um, as close as you can get, in my opinion. The way they treat people in airports reminds me of the Nazis. I'm sorry, but it do. Now, uh, apparently the X-ray machines, these scanners, that are obviously they're pumping you full of radiation, and I don't believe they've ever done any uh, health studies on these things. No. They put them in without even doing any health studies. Now, you write that TSA's motto posted at the TSA's Air Marshal Training Center headquarters is, quote, dominate, intimidate, control. Yes. They will tell you that's supposedly aimed at terrorists, but as I, as I can say, the cases we got involved in, we had uh, the top female Air Force pilot in the world, Ann Poe. She had a small metal chip in her leg from an accident from when she was a child. Every time she went through those things, they buzzed, they groped her. Um, we fought, and finally they backed down off of her. But, I mean, I, I remember on a Thanksgiving day her calling me a couple of years ago crying because she had trying to get on the top female pilot in the world, worked for Boeing, and they were still groping her at that particular point in time. So um, now that's gone, which, again, I show, it shows you who's controlling the system. It ain't, it ain't the average American folks. And one reason being is because we're not involved. And it's difficult to get involved, especially on the mass level, because your congressman is not going to listen to you, and uh, Emperor Barack is not going to hear a thing you have to say. But you can make an impact on the local level. I do believe that. Now, could you talk about VIPER teams, VIPER standing for Visible Intermodal Prevention and Response? What's that? Yeah, there are raids they do with local police and various federal agencies, the TSA, where they will you know, go into a train station, basically search everybody. They bring in dogs. In fact, I was on the train last year, and I saw some VIPER, some VIPER units walking around with dogs, walking up to everybody in the train station, smelling them, looking for drugs, supposedly. Uh, but you know, they've been running exercises in some major cities with Black Hawk helicopters. They're telling the cities to back down. They're doing this as a training exercise and all that. But the question is, why are they doing training exercises in America? Why are they closing off sections of some states to do where well, they drop to the ground like paratroopers? And they've been doing that across the country. And in some instances, I've been told by Secret Service agents with foreign troops, by the way, which is I'm not sure that's true, but it probably is. I'm speaking with author and constitutional attorney John Whitehead. Today's show, Police State America. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Now, what is the New York prototype? You have a whole uh, section in your book on this. Well, anybody who's been to Manhattan knows that. New York uh, has basically taken the movie Minority Report. They, they have all the units... They have an entire unit of fusion center that watches everything in the city. There are surveillance cameras everywhere. Uh, I was there this last Christmas. The police were walking around with AR-15s and full-body armor on the streets. That's, I think that's what I call a prototype. If it continues like it is in this country, 
That's what you're going to see. Uh, more and more in mid to large cities, the local communities now are fully armored police. You just don't see it unless they pull it out. I mean, in local communities, uh, most of them have armored vehicles. They keep them in garages where you don't see them. Eventually, that's going to come out. But it's going to take either, in my opinion, an economic collapse or a uh, terrorist attack of some sort. An economic collapse is possible, I'm told, by people who work in and out of government. Well, exactly. And and a possible economic collapse isn't that the other reason that is motivating the setting up of a police state. We've talked about corporate profit being one leg of it, but the other part of the emerging police state has to do with what? Keeping control during or after an economic collapse? Well, you know, uh, in 2006, the Halliburton Corporation, which Dick Cheney used to work for and run, was given $385 million to build so-called camps. Now, the government says now, if you believe in that, you're conspiratorialist. And one of the memos issued under the Obama administration, right-wing extremism memo, if you believe in these camps, you're an extremist. And the words extremist and terrorist are used interchangeably in those memos. But Halliburton was given this money to do these so-called camps. Uh, I had a group of uh, students and attorneys we got together and we called Halliburton, Halliburton about the camps where they built. They referred us to the Department of Defense, Department of Defense, to the Department of Homeland Security, FBI, bounced around. Two weeks of that, we couldn't get an answer. Nobody would answer the question whether or not these so-called camps exist. Now, I do know that Halliburton was given the money. The question is if they didn't build them, we need our money back. But supposedly they were for immigrants and other new programs. That was what the memo said. And under the National Defense Authorization Act, which President Obama signed into law, the military can arrive at your door if he thinks you're a possible terrorist or have links to terrorists, which would be an extremist. Uh, they can take you away to a military prison where you will not see your lawyer or your family. That's a law in America now, which we actually have fought. The Supreme Court refused to hear the case challenging it. It's a law. Well, no, that's right. The National Defense Authorization Act, NDAA, of 2012 legalized the indefinite detention of American citizens without due process, effectively nullifying the 1,000-year history of habeas corpus law. Are American citizens currently being held under indefinite detention? Uh, well, if you look at the civil commitments, probably, if they're being held, uh, let me go back. The Brandon Robb case I talked to you about, he was lucky. If we hadn't gotten involved, he was very fortunate. He would be somewhere. He was put in a VA hospital. Under the NDAA, the military could have grabbed him and shoved him into a, a, a military facility. Now, we don't know. That's the point. What I'm emphasizing to America, you got the NSA, you got the FBI, you got the Department of Homeland Security, they all work in secret all around the world. So we don't know. People pop up. Uh, if they're given the publicity, you know they're being held. But I don't know how many people might be held somewhere. I have no idea. I do know, though, the statistics show 1.5 million people are put into so-called mental hospitals a year in America without due process. Yes. Right. And the NDAA authorizes the military to yes. indefinitely detain. And if the military arrives, it would be with the local police. It would be with the FBI, probably, in most sense. They work in teams now. 
That's what we see. It's a team effort. I would say very few communities have mid to large cities have local police anymore. They're connected to the FBI, Department of Homeland Security. Remember, the Homeland Security Department gives out all kinds of equipment free to local police. MRAPs, the armored vehicles, they give out license plate readers so they can collect information on drivers across the country. I don't know if you heard of that chaos fellow was driving through Maryland. License plate reader caught his car, and it showed he had a legally owned gun. They pulled the guy over and searched his car. I don't know if you saw that case. No. That's against the law, in my opinion. The Fourth Amendment says we're not to have surveillance conducted against us. We're not to be touched by government agents unless the, the government has probable cause, which means some evidence of illegality. I mean, if the NSA is downloading 220 million text messages a day, they're violating the Fourth Amendment. No one's holding these people accountable. No one's holding the SWAT team accountable. There's no accountability to government anymore. Government operates on its own. Now, I wanted to go back to this a New York prototype that you have a whole chapter on, the Domain Awareness System Program. You write this is a partnership between Microsoft and NYPD, the New York Police Department. What does this Domain Awareness System program entail? What are all the components? It's a total electronic sweep system, and now it would be, uh, by the way, it would work with the National Security Agency, Google, Facebook. They triangulate, basically, and and, uh, they're not the only system now. Many of your large cities have these kind of systems where all the information on citizens is triangulated, which means everything you do on Facebook, Twitter, purchases at stores, your bank records, where you travel, is all digitally put in a file, and you become a data person so that they can track what you do. They listen to your phone calls if you're a real suspect, but supposedly they only listen to phone calls if they have probable cause. But uh, as I've talked to people in and out of Secret Service, they, they record most phone calls of anybody. People like me or people like you, <laughs> I guarantee you, they know exactly what we're doing and what we're doing. So these systems are set up around the country now in large cities. There are fusion centers even in small towns now that, if you've seen a picture of fusion centers, I have one in my book. Uh, they have television screens. Now the license plate readers feed into them all that information, anything you're doing, so they know exactly what the people are doing. And it's going to get worse, by the way, as technology grows. Uh, yes, what are these fusion centers? Now there's a very special one, uh, I can't think of the name of it, up in Washington State, isn't there? Well, they're all over now. I mean, since I've written the book, they've exploded. Uh, They're basically run by the Department of Homeland Security and the military. So you have a military presence. You know, the Department of Defense, when people have GPS, it's not a private company that tracks you on GPS. It's the Department of Defense. It's a program run out of the Department of Defense. So uh, it connects into the fusion. Fusion centers, like I said, they're, they're units, television screens, data collection, computers, where you might have 100 people sitting in a, a fusion center, they're collecting all your electronic data, your movements. With the introduction of license plate readers, where they read your license plates, this is the police following you. Uh, also, in some communities now, policemen are wearing small miniature cameras, by the way, as they walk along. Uh, some of them have facial recognition software. That's collected. That goes into the fusion center. 
so that whatever you do, what you buy, what you sell, if you go to a psychiatrist, they'll know that. If you go to Alcoholics Anonymous, they will know where you're going. So it collects all the data to see, basically, uh, if you're a suspect terrorist or whatever. So what uh, the, the fusion centers, the NSA, the FBI, all the collection they're doing are telling us is that we're all suspects now. We are a nation of suspects. And I say that in the book because that's absolutely true. Everything you do. Here's the thing I tell people. They know what's in your bank account. Be sure when you fill out your IRS tax return that you, if you're not confident, have someone confident do it. Because if you make a mistake, you're going to get an audit. They match them up now. Here's another thing. With Obamacare and all this electronic medical care, uh, they know everything about your medical history, your weaknesses, possibly your strengths. you got to be careful, folks. We live in that society. Remember George Orwell said, uh, everything you do, everything you're watched all, all the time, it's here. Well, we'll go back and say it again. With drones coming next year, it's going to get worse. We're in a police state. I keep telling people we're already there. Well, that's right. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about the technology, what you describe as an electronic concentration camp. Now, you uh, say in your book that they are working or they've already got an iPhone app which uh, police can use uh, for iris scanning of U.S. citizens. They can carry it around with them. Yeah, yeah, like I say, uh, what they're developing now is for policemen is uh, mobile scanning devices on the uniforms, and you won't know they're watching you. Yeah, that's coming. Your laptops, the FBI, they can turn on from a distance. Also, the uh, NSA says now people who tell me they're getting off the grid and they're just going to have their computer but they're not going to be on the Internet, the uh, NSA says that from, from uh, I think, 100 miles they can tap into your computer now. You don't have to be on the Internet. They'll find out what you're typing, what you're thinking, those kind of things. Like I said, it's moving very, very rapidly so that there is no place that you can go to get away from the government. Now, what are these mobile X-ray scanners? What's that? Those are probably least invasive uh, compared to what the drones will do. But uh, in major cities, they have vans that they can go by your home now with X-ray scans and see what you're doing in your home. They can see you walking around, what you're doing. Supposedly it's used for criminals, but let's say uh, you're driving down the street and you just want to see what everybody's doing. If you're a policeman, I'm sure this happens. They'll scan everybody's home. That's collected, fed into a computer. Uh, the drones uh, in uh, Afghanistan and Iraq are equipped with scanning devices, so they'll be able to see through the walls of your home. And you won't know it, by the way. Supposedly, they're developing a prototype mosquito which can land on you and uh, extract DNA, but it will also be able to inject something into you, supposedly a prototype. Now, these mobile X-ray scanners, if they're... If they're driving by your house and scanning you, does that mean you're getting radiated? Yeah, it depends. I always suppose. I'm not a scientist how close they are because I know the uh, airport scanners. But, yeah, to a certain extent, I would think that would be true. It depends on how powerful they are. But here's the thing, and just talking to people in and out of government who don't like what's going on, they'll talk occasionally, is that the technology the government has, we're seeing the tip of the iceberg. We don't know how deep it goes or how invasive it is. We do know, though, however, with the recent revelation about the NSA that the computers the NSA have are awesome. Also, the NSA has the Echelon program. They have bases all over the world. So when we talk about electronic concentration camp, Google has just 
uh, is getting ready to launch 180 satellites worldwide, which will hook into the NSA as well. If people are trying to escape the United States, if they want to find you folks, you can't do anything electronic. You can go live in a cave, but caves are kind of scarce. You're saying that Google is going to launch 180 satellites? They announced it a couple days ago to bring Wi-Fi to isolated areas. The problem with that is it creates – they work with the NSA. They admit it. They meet regularly with the NSA, Google. They work with the NSA. Google admits it. It's a scary scenario because you're talking about uh, the biggest corporation in the world, essentially Google, working with the biggest spy agency in the world, which is the NSA. The NSA has a black ops budget, by the way. We don't know how much money they have or who works for them or how many people. But they have a lot of money. Let me go take a step further. I would say the entities like the NSA essentially run the government. They'd have to because they have so much power. John Whitehead, thank you very much. Thank you, ma'am. Keep up the good fight. I've been speaking with John Whitehead. Today's show has been Police State America. John Whitehead is an author and constitutional attorney. He is the founder of the nonprofit civil liberties organization, the Rutherford Institute, based in Charlottesville, Virginia. The Rutherford Institute provides free legal services to people whose constitutional and human rights have been threatened or violated. The Institute's mission is to provide legal services in the defense of religious and civil liberties and to educate the public on important issues affecting their constitutional freedoms. John Whitehead is the author of many books, most recently, A Government of Wolves, The Emerging American Police State, available at Amazon.com. Visit the Rutherford Institute website at www.rutherford.org. That's R-U-T-H-E-R-F-O-R-D dot O-R-G. Guns and Butter is produced and edited by Bonnie Faulkner and Yara Mako. To make comments or order copies of shows, email us at faulkner at gunsandbutter.org. That's F-A-U-L-K-N-E-R at G-U-N-S-A-N-D-B-U-T-T-E-R dot O-R-G. Visit her website at gunsandbutter.org.